Hey, this is John Fanta from Fox College Hoops and Big East Shootaround. You're listening to the best podcast on the Seton Hall Pirates, Left Coast Pirates. Just west of the Ward Place Gate from San Diego, California. He is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkoharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. How you doing today, Michael? I think the way I'm feeling can be easily summed up by the following. I can't believe you just dated us on the podcast, Mike. Come on, Tommy. How many people stopped believing in this team? The Debbie Downers were lined up around the corner. The villagers had their pitchforks and torches out, and they were ready to storm the castle. How's that glass looking now, Tommy? Well, you better drink up because it's overflowing with confidence. It's spilling out with optimism. It's time to get a bigger glass, period, because the Pirates are going back to the dance for a fourth straight year. Matter of fact, I don't know how they pulled it off. I'm still trying to figure it out. Someone's going to have to just pinch me. Are you guys messing with me? I I can't figure it out. They just can't be the same team we watched go up and down for the last 28 games of the season. Because from the 936 mark of the second half against Marquette, this team looked like they were the team that beat Kentucky. This team looked like the team that beat Maryland on the road. This team looked like a team that was ready to play some serious basketball in the month of March. Tommy, did they make a believer out of you this weekend? Michael, if it weren't for the fact that Elizabeth Ann Seton has already been canonized, I'd be asking for her to be put up for sainthood, Mike. We just witnessed the miracle at the Rock. Two games, two ranked opponents, two victories. After what we saw in the Big East Conference schedule, are you kidding me? It's still kind of surreal. I, I when We had Fanta on, and Fanta was like, I, I think they get one, and, and neither one of us thought they were going to – they had a fighting chance to get any, ne- never mind two. And and here we are standing on the precipice of the fourth straight NCAA tournament. It, it's, it really is surreal. I think most of us are speechless. I, I, as each game ended, I, I kind of looked over and said, did that really happen? It, it's just kind of, you know, what, why you, you hang on for the journey throughout the entire year. I, I don't know how many people jumped off the bandwagon. I know there were a lot of people that were definitely down on the team as we went through this, you know, up and down roller coaster season at some of the down points, but this, this is why you, you hang on. This is why you continue to follow. Because when you hit a high like this, it, there, there's no other feeling. Mike, I don't think the bluest of blue Seton Hall Pirate fan would have told you they were taking both games this week. I mean, it's not. it wasn't a realistic task to go in there the way they played. First, beat Marquette, and then beat Nova, who absolutely took us to the shed the first time around. It just wasn't realistic. Well, it didn't look good to start off with, but Seton Hall came out with the victory 73-64 to versus 16th-ranked Marquette. It seemed like the Hall was giving every opportunity to jump out early against the Golden Eagles, but despite 14 first-half turnovers, Marquette led by six at the half, behind 15 points from Sam Hauser. Things continued to look bleak for the Pirates in the second half as they called timeout with nine minutes and 36 seconds to play, trailing 59-46, to staring a fourth straight loss in the face. Sandro was relegated to the bench 
bench with zero points, one rebound, and a hideous plus minus of 16, excuse me, minus 16. Then something magical happened. Willard inserted Romaro Gill for D, seven points, five rebounds, three blocks. Jared Roden infused some energy off the bench, six points, four rebounds, two assists, two steals in 18 solid minutes, and Miles Powell put on another show for the ages. His 730th plus point performance of the season, 34 in total. And he had a stretch that saw him score 10 straight to turn a seven-point deficit into a three-point lead, culminating in what seemed like a 30-foot three-point bomb to bring the crowd to a deafening roar. In the end, Seton Hall ended the game on an 18-0 run and a 27-5 run that dated back to that infamous 9 minute and 36 second timeout. It was just an amazing finish, one for the ages. Just the number 18 to 0, I don't think really gives you that idea of what just happened. We were down 9 with 4 minutes and change left in the game. I mean, it looked over. 2 minutes later, we were down 2. 40 seconds later, we're up to, and then we close it out. We win by nine. I mean, that's crazy. It's a crazy run in four minutes. That is because Miles Powell is truly a special player. I mean, what was the last time you remember a player at Seton Hall having the ability to take over a game like he took over that game? Uh, And who comes to mind? The pantheon of guards, Mike. I mean, you got to go back. To be honest, DeHare was a different type of player in my opinion, but uh, you got to go back to at least him. I mean, he was the last guy at that level. Well, that's the thing. I I don't think any of these Pantheon of guards had the ability to take over the way that Powell takes over. I mean, let's go down the list. You're talking about Shaw, Barrett. Don't be blasphemous, Michael. But I'm being serious, though. I mean, once again, Shaw, Barrett, Copeland, Eugene Harvey, Jordan Theodore, all great players at the point, but but they played at the point. They couldn't offensively take over a game the way that Powell could take over the game. I mean, the only player that comes to my mind that even could remotely put on the show that, that Powell put on in this game was, was Jeremy Hazell. I mean, and he only did it a couple of times. And we are watching Powell reenact this performance over and over again on a nightly basis to put this team on on his back and carry them to victory. It's I, I, we're not we're taking it for granted at this point, and, and, I, and I don't think we should. We should step back and admire the special performance that he brought to the table in this game. I do like that you bring up Hazel. It seems like he ends up being the forgotten guy because he could have made a run for that scoring title had he not gotten hurt in his senior year. It's just unfortunate because most of the times that Hazel had these types of performances, you know, Seton Hall didn't always kind of end up on the, the the right side of the the wing column. And, I mean, he had that West Virginia game. They lost in overtime. He had that spectacular game against Louisville. He had a really awesome game against Syracuse. But Powell is pushing this team to make an NCAA tournament. He essentially, after this week, has gotten them to an NCAA tournament. None of Jeremy Hazel's teams even really had a, a legit shot to get in. The one time that we thought they got snubbed on the bubble, they ended up being a, a fourth a fourth seed in the NIT. So it's, it's just not fair. We need to step back and truly appreciate the special player that Miles Powell is. A fan to call him a transcendent player on the last podcast, and he needs that type of recognition and accolades he just got named first team 
unanimous all biggies conference. I'd like to see him win player of the year. I think he's actually earned the right to be in that conversation and not be an automatic second to Marcus Howard at this point. Marcus Howard definitely does have more consistent backup players running with him. So it, there's a good argument to be made there. Does it happen? Probably not. He doesn't have that woo moment like Marcus did where he we went up for plus 40 a couple times, but it's not out of the conversation. More interesting. Look, I, I hope he wins. I, I really do. I think maybe maybe an, another special moment on top of a special season that taking that's taking place. But you said it, eighteen to nothing. Let, let's put eighteen to nothing uh, run into more perspective as they close out this game. It's not like they were on a you know thirty-two to ten type run. They shut them out. They shut them out. They brought the defense to the table. The intensity on that side of the floor, like we had seen from earlier in the year, that was the calling card that we thought that this this team was going to hang their hats on throughout the entire season. And it was back. And it was back with a vengeance. They were smothering Howard. Howard had a hot game. He had 25 points going into that stretch. And he didn't get a clean look the rest of the way. The defense was impressive. And it was Gill in the middle who made the biggest impact. I mean, when he is on, when, when we find the right matchup or he gets into the flow of the game, he has truly been a game changer. It is a sight to see on that side of the floor. Have someone rim protect and kind of erase some of the mistakes on the defensive end. It was just, it, everything clicked in that last 10 minutes. And what's more interesting, in my opinion, is I think they finally figured out their offense's identity, Mike. Everything's going through Powell now. That's the bottom line. Most There'll be times when he even brings the ball up, forget about everything else, start the offense and figure it out from there. That's okay. And it should. But let's not kind of lose sight of the fact of what it means to run the offense through Powell versus Powell just kind of bringing up the ball and, and chucking at will. I mean, Willard wants him to take 25 plus shots a game right now. I have no problem with that. If his shots are within the flow of the offense, if him has it, having the ball leads to good dribble penetration, him exposing the double team and finding other guys open. We, we see miles sometimes in this stretch, completely put it on his own shoulders and that leads to some really ugly three-point attempts that he's kind of like ducking under, you know, head faking and trying to, you know, do his best James Harden impression. And you're like, oh, that, that didn't look good. So if he plays quality, efficient basketball, I have no problem if the offense runs through him on every possession. It, it really should at this point. No, and I wasn't meaning he was just going to come in and dominate the ball like they were going to dribble handoff to him and he's just going to go to work. I I believe, you know, he won Big East Player of the Week, and I believe he had four or five assists per game. He's initiating the offense at this point, regardless of it's a, if it's a shot for him or a shot for someone else. It's I don't want to jump too far ahead and get into the Nova game yet, but there was a point in one of the timeouts where Willard said, if they double-team you, you are a good enough passer. You need to make them pay. So if, if that's the way the offense is going to flow, I am okay with you know, Superman Miles Powell running the show from here on out. That, that is more than okay with me. And what that conversely does is it allows Q to take a small step back. He has taken on a lot of burden of responsibility running the point. He had struggled in previous games, and I think that kind of resulted in the three losses that we had. All of a sudden, he got back to being who he was. He had five assists. He only had one turnover, and he was locked down on D. As good as Powell was, Marcus Howard was a no-show. He only had six points on two of 11 shooting, and he struggled just to even get those six. Q was just as much a star of this game as Powell was. And that's what Powell was getting the recognition for earlier in the season. It was his defensive output, not his offensive, 
you know, showmanship. And he had a couple of good games offensively here and there, but for him to be as effective as he was defensively, man, it set the tone. It, it was it was nice to see him get back uh, into his comfort zone. And because I do what I do, Mike, let's just bring up the fact that the first 36 minutes of that game were a little rough on the eyes. It's not like we played overly well in those first 36 minutes, especially shooting the ball. You want to say it. I, it's okay. I already I already gave it to you in the game recap. Just just go there. Take your shots. He bounced back in the next game, but he, he, des- he deserves a couple jabs for how he played in the Marquette game. Go ahead and do it. Just get it out of the way. Oh, I, I wasn't pointing anyone in particular, Mike. It was more of a fact that we keep thinking we're a three-point shooting team. We're outside of Miles Powell for the most part. It's not happening. It's not. The, the numbers bear it. Powell was 8 for 23 over the last two games, the Georgetown and the Marquette game. And everybody else was a combined one of 26. And, and Sandro was part of that. Sandro had a very bad game. You said it, not me, Mike. I, I, we're not going to dance around this, you know, this issue at this point. He had a poor game. Kale had a poor game. Kale had a poor game on the defensive end in the St. John's game. I, I mean, we need those two guys to step up and be the supporting cast. They don't have to be superstars every game, but this team really can't win when you get a no-show out of those two guys. So for what they were able to accomplish in that last nine minutes, Roden coming in and giving some solid solid minutes, Gill playing great rim-protecting defense, Shavar giving you some defensive energy, Thompson maybe once in a while coming off the bench and giving you some instant offense, Nelson playing some pick-and-roll basketball. Everybody's got to play their role off the bench, but we need those two guys to be much more consistent. So I'm going to say it one more time. What Powell did was nothing short of spectacular. We need to step back and admire that accomplishment. He put them on their back like I've never seen another player do and will them to the biggest win of the season when their backs were up against the wall. And that just can't happen going forward. And that was my fear going into the Nova game is that as once again, as Fanta said on the previous podcast, you can't make it miles Powell show every game and expect to make it to the tournament. They need a balanced effort night in and night out in order for them to be a more successful team. But Mike, everyone showing up to play a complete game is exactly what they did. Seton Hall 79, Villanova 75. And speaking of showing up, it was the second largest crowd to watch a Seton Hall basketball game at the Rock. Over 16,000 fans. Yes, Nova travels well, but that was a Seton Hall crowd, Michael. The Hall jumped out early and took an 11-point lead into half. They got a spark off the bench from Jared Roden, who for the second straight game came to play. Nine points in the half and a career high of 15 points in only 13 minutes. You Just minutes the t- into the second half, though, Mike Quincy McKnight picked up his fourth foul as Seton Hall pushed the lead to 16 after a Miles Kale made three. Nova then immediately took advantage of the situation of a point guardless Pirates and went on a 13-0 run. From that point on, Michael, it was a tight game back and forth, but the Hall found a way to make plays when they counted, relying on the three mostly. And boy, did they rely on that three. They shot it fantastic. 13 for 27 on the day. It was a complete effort. Five pirates in double figures. This is what we were looking for all season. 
It was arguably the best supporting cast performance year to date. I didn't think they could do it after Miles threw them on his back again, but Kale comes out, and not only does he hit the game-clinching three, but he shoots six of eight behind the line for 19 points. At the beginning of the season, we were doubting Kale's ability to shoot the three with consistency, and now you can't wait for him to pull the trigger. Jared Roden had another great game, like you mentioned, a career-high 15 points off the bench, and he was all over the floor again. Hustle plays defense, out on the break, confidence in his three-point shot. I mean, the last time I checked, uh, Laval Jordan was like, does he only hit him against us? People better watch out. He's going to start making them going forward now. He's got that confidence. You got a rock-solid performance from Enzi on senior night, and I have been waiting and waiting all season for this moment. But my boy, you call him my boy, so now he's my boy. The big Mamu had a career-high 18 rebounds, 12 points, Team leading, 38 minutes on the floor. A boy came to play. He took the performance to the Marquette game, and he put it behind him and came out with his best game of the year when we needed it most. He deserves the recognition. Tommy, he deserves it specifically from you. I've used buried him six feet under on numerous occasions. Give the man the respect and do he deserves by stepping up and being a part of that full cast performance that we needed. Mamu brought his game. Michael, what have I always said? You don't get nicknames. You earn nicknames. And Sandro earned his mamu that day. He came large. I lost my mind on that putback. It, it just looked great. He looked fabulous. He looked confident. He didn't put his head down. And this Willard made a comment about it. He said, Mamu, I'm tired of seeing your head down. Keep that head up and keep playing. So it was a beautiful game from him. Let's keep hoping that he builds on this. You didn't fight me on it. You gave him his due. This I'm isn't shocked. Wagner. This isn't Sacred Heart. This is Nova, and he came to play in the biggest day of the season. But you knew he had it in himself. It wasn't. This wasn't another situation where our young freshmen's getting off the bench and getting garbage minutes and putting in stats against a weaker team. He's had moments throughout the year. Has he been inconsistent? Yes. Has his team been inconsistent? Yes. But you knew he had it in him, and I think the fan base was really getting down on him. We've gotten down on Q, and to be honest, I mean, Q didn't have a statistic great game on the offensive side but you know what we didn't turn the ball over we only had nine turnovers for the entire game and that's all i'm looking for from q at the point is to settle things down i mean maybe we didn't turn it over as much because q wasn't on the floor he he did have four fouls for most of the game but but the reality was we did everything that we needed to do to play complete team basketball everybody got involved we valued our possessions. And to be honest, Kevin made some good decisions from the bench. I, I have to give him his due as well. I was concerned that Nova going on that 13-0 run midway through the second half, that they were going to crumble in, in the face of the fact that it was Villanova. I mean, I, I, I know teams go on runs. You call a timeout. You steady the ship. But you know, when the best team in the conference who's beaten you by 30 previously is coming barreling down at you, they have all the momentum. And I, you, know, you said it earlier, it was a great crowd, but the Nova fans travel. So when they were on that 13-0 run, you could feel the presence of the Nova fans in that building. I didn't know what Willard said to them in that timeout. I don't know what he said to them in the timeout at the nine and a half minute mark of the Marquette game. But whatever buttons he's been pushing, the team has, has responded. They came back out and pushed that lead back up to 11. I was shocked. I, I didn't think they were going to do that. I really didn't. I don't know that we're giving Kale enough love. He hit six from eight from three. We shouldn't expect that kind of barrage from him or anyone, basically. But, Mike, in our biggest wins of the season, Kale comes to play. 
He was a monster in Kentucky. He was a monster at Maryland, and he was a monster against Nova. I don't think you can expect it at this point. The, the whole season, as we keep on saying over and over again, it's up and down. It's a roller coaster. It's Jekyll and Hyde. But if this team wants to win going forward, because now, now here we are. We're, we're deep into March. Big East tournaments around the corner. You know, the NCAA tournament's now on the horizon. You don't win the games at this time of the year with the inconsistency that we brought to the table. If we want to continue to have success and go beyond, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. But if it's going to, you you almost have to expect Kale and Sandro and Enzi and Q to all bring solid games. You know, they don't have to be heroes, but they all can't be a no-show like we've seen so far. So I, I need Kale. I need Sandro. I, I need them all to show up at this point in the year and not make it a all or nothing for Miles Powell to win a game. Now, Mike, I'm actually having a hard time keeping an analytical mind about this game because I'm sitting there watching it in my living room, screaming at the TV after every make, after every putback. It was great. But, you know, you asked me a question off there. You said, was this the most complete game of the season? Was it better than a Georgetown game? And this has to be better than the Georgetown game, and I do, and it has to rank close to the Kentucky game. Georgetown, Patrick Ewan pulled his starters with, I don't know, six minutes into the second half and said, forget it, we're done. And we kind of built it on that. We put our foots on their neck. They called it a game. But this is as close to the Kentucky game as we've seen since. Do I have to agree with you? I don't like agreeing with you on these podcasts. Mike, but you I have went to re- wire to wire against Nova. I'm, I'm they gonna never agree with had you. a I'm, lead. I'm going to agree with you. And this is no this is no knock on Georgetown, but the level of talent between Nova and Georgetown is on a different level. Georgetown is still finding themselves. They have some young freshmen that play really well at times, but you're talking about a program that is the two-time national defending champion in the last three years. You have a team that took the floor knowing that if they were going to win the game against us, they have the outright Big East title in their grasp. There's a different level of expectation when you play against Villanova. And you're right. There was no subbing in and, and mailing it in towards the end of that game. It was wire to wire. It was a gut check game. Villanova's got got talent up and down that lineup, even though that they're young. I mean, Booth and Pascal just got named unanimous first big e- first team Big East All Conference. And on top of that, Gillespie had the game of his uh, game of his life. It felt like he was lighting us up in the first half. People are going to sit there and say, "Well, what about the Kentucky game?" Here's my counterpoint to that. Kentucky was still trying to find themselves. I think that Kentucky team is a great team. They have Final Four potential. Heck, they could win it all. But at that point in the year when we play Kentucky, and this is, once again, no slight on our victory, they were still trying to hit their stride. They didn't know their roles. Uh, I think Hagens wasn't even the starting point guard for them at that point. Uh, Somebody just transferred off their roster right after that game. Kentucky was in a transition phase, and they hit their stride after losing to us. Maybe it was their wake-up call. But at this point, everything was on the line. The best team in the Big East was in the building, and we took it to them start to finish. Absolutely. I understand the point you're making about time of the season and all, Mike, but the same could be said about Seton Hall at that point. You know, all you're playing the teams in a similar point of the season. It's not like one team has had more games than the other. Everyone at that point is trying to find themselves, find their roles, figure out how's it going. I understand it. This had a little more meaning. This is win or go home, basically. So, yes, this is a better barometer of what this team can do. Mike, I'm going to throw you a curveball here. Now, I know Nova Hall is more of a rivalry for us than it is for Nova, but let's rank this in our 
victories against Nova. This has got to be slightly behind the Big East tournament win, but not by much. That's a tough one. I mean, because we've played a lot of great games against them lately, but we always have it come out on the top top end. I mean, you have the Delgado game where he misses the layup in the Big East tournament the following year. We had the Carrington missed free throw in which we end up losing in overtime. There was a lot of great games, but I can't remember the last time that we came out on top in a regular season contest. Sterling if I'm Gibbs. not, oh, okay, fine. But at that point, it, we really weren't a team that had aspirations to make the NCAA tournament. We were what the eight seed in that big East tournament. So was that you, you Big East it. tournament or was that regular season? Uh, it was Big East tournament. Okay. They, they ended up okay. playing Providence in the semis after that. Played a competitive game, but, you know, I, the run ended there. I, I don't think just because Gibbs hit that shot that I felt like they were tournament aspirations beyond that basket. The win today solidifies the tournament. I, I know there's some doubters out there. We're going to talk about it some more in our Big East segment. But I truly believe that the win today stamped their ticket to the NCAA tournament. I started the podcast that way. I'm going to stick through it. I think Seton Hall is in because of this win. That has to vault the victory right to the top of the list. Well, this game was full of lots of great moments, Mike. And actually, the whole week was filled with lots of great moments. But whoa, did you see that dunk? at the beginning of the Marquette game that Kale threw down. You, you love your, your Miles Kale dunks. I, I don't know what it is about you and his dunks. You, you, you want a windmill. You want a throwdown. It's got to be in the opponent's face. I love the veracity in which he dunks, but it never is going to top when Miles Powell crosses midcourt and decides to just hoist with free Steph Curry type will. I mean, the, some of the shots he hit, you could hear the announcer getting out of his chair calling those plays in both games. The Marquette game to end the 10-0 run and also when Nelson turns around and pitched it back to Powell. I mean, I swear to God he couldn't have been more than two steps across half court when he took that shot and I felt like he was going in. Now I, we all knew it was going in. Now, Gus Johnson had a, a call that people are kind of pumping up. He's saying, Miles Kale from Trenton. Now, you know, and I saw a better tweet. Someone said, Miles Kale from Newark Penn Station. You're in the rock. You're you're in Newark. Come on, Gus. You could do better. I, I, I know Gus likes to play it up, but but he was hyped. He was hyped. I mean, there, there was a little bit of, you know, sincerity in the way he called that. Jimmy Jackson couldn't control himself. I mean, that, that's how big those moments were in those games. Well, speaking of announcers not controlling themselves, there were a few stupid things the announcer said. I'm going to give the broadcast crew a pass on the Marquette game, and I'm, I'm always going to lean to giving the broadcast crew a pass when it involves Bill. So Raftery, to me, can really do no wrong. Uh, and to be honest, he called a great game as always. But I'm going to pick on, and I'm, I'm going to throw you a new one here. I'm going to pick on the pregame show. I'm going to pick on Casey Jacobson in the Fox broadcast crew back at the studio. Casey starts off with the pregame with Lavin going, this is the biggest win opportunity for Seton Hall on their resume. We just finished talking about it. Is he the only person in the entire country that doesn't know we beat Kentucky? I mean, really? You're talking about our resume to get to the tournament, and you announced that this is potentially our biggest win when Kentucky's top 10 and we beat him on a neutral site. I didn't get that. He, he got better. He got better. He's he's now trying to showcase Powell as one of the marquee matchups to look at. And he goes, but, but watch this. He goes, Powell averages 16 points a game in his career, but against Nova, he averages 10%. Uh, Casey, someone needs to let him know that percentages and points, not the same mathematical metrics. And, and to be honest, I'm, I'm going to call out Gus. I, I mean, Gus gets into it. Gus tries to hype things up. But sometimes I think he's just he hasn't done his homework. So there was a point in the game where, you know, Reynolds is playing point and he goes, I like this Reynolds kid. I like his energy. He's solid on defense. And then he goes, Reynolds, 
looks like the point guard of the future for Kevin Willard. And I was just like, oh, really? Come on. Once again, not to pick on Shavar, but you don't know our roster if you think Shavar is the future at the point guard just because he's in there backing up Q at this point. Gus has got a bag of tricks that he just kind of sticks his hand into, and and whoever yeah. is, whoever the game, whatever the game is, he's gonna pull that out and just say, "Oh, the, he went in for the point. I guess right. he's the point of the future." Exactly, and to me, that's just a lack of preparation. I know he's got a busy schedule, but this was a big game on the Fox broadcast. It meant a lot. I, I think you got to do your homework. I think you owe that to the listening audience. And, and then. My last point, and maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree here, but he made a comment being surprised that Willard's name hasn't come up when any of the top jobs are available. I took this a couple ways, and maybe it wasn't a stupid comment, but but I took offense to it. So it means, to me, I thought it was an unintentional backhand-type comment towards Seton Hall and the Big East. So is Seton Hall, the job he currently has, and the Big East not a good enough platform to coach? on a national stage. So like Jay Wright is coaching at Nova and has won two national championships. So Wright should be looking for another big time program. I mean, shouldn't that be the the, the case for every coach in the Big East then? Uh, I was a little offended by that. Or, I mean, has he not paid attention to the fact that Willard has had some ups and downs in his coaching career? And maybe that's why he's not getting that phone call. I, I don't think that's the forum to discuss in the middle of calling that game, but he brought it up. He put it out there. So I'm picking on it. I think the narrative for the season for Seton Hall is they lost the four seniors. So this was going to be a rebuilding year. So I think Gus is a little surprised or the guys that don't follow the team are a little surprised at the relative success that the team has had and that this was, again, a winner go home game. And maybe that's the that's the point they're trying to stress. Now, I mean, that again, that doesn't say a whole lot about Gus or any of the other announcers that keep using these analogies because after the out-of-conference, you should have understood that we beat the Kentucky, we beat the Maryland, that we actually had a big struggle during the Big East conference schedule. So, again, someone, wrote, some intern wrote up his notes, he read them on the air, and he called it a day. All right, it's a fair point. So so maybe he is sitting there going, hey, Seton Hall was picked eighth, hey, they're, they're going to win this game and finish third. Fine. You know what? We're going to do a whole segment on previewing the Big East tournament. I want to end on that point. So to the national audience at that game, it looks like Seton Hall has really overachieved at this at this point. We've had different expectations that we've talked about from the beginning of the season to the middle of the season. Give me your opinion. The whole scope of the season. Did this team meet and exceed expectations or do you think they kind of fell short of the mark? I'm going to give you a qualified answer here, Mike. Day one. Before they tipped off against Wagner, if you would have told me we finished third in the Big East at 9-9, nine and nine, we are most likely going into the NCAA tournament, I would have taken that every day twice on Sunday. Now, Absolutely. Now, hold on. Now, if you would have talked to me an hour before the St. John's game... Oh, that geez. kicked off the big no no I told you it was a qualified say, answer I'm gonna finish my say, answer Michael be quiet it's my turn to talk positive. I'm gonna I'll mute you <laughs> an hour before the St. John's game if you would have told me that we're going nine and nine in the, in the Big East Conference play I would have told you that's a disappointment now the way things played out we won those last two games against ranked Marquette and Nova teams at home, the way we did, going 18-0 and 0 
run to end Marquette and beating Nova wire to wire. Am I happy with these results? I'll take it. It's wonderful. I'm excited. I, I don't know how to interpret that. I mean, is, is that a glass full kind of kind of attitude? I, I, I'm kind of torn here, but, but I agree across many fronts. If you would have told me NCAA tournament from the beginning of the season, I would have said, where do I sign on the dotted line? I would have even been okay with being in the bubble conversation throughout the year. And the team, you know, shows a lot of progress and development for the following season as everybody comes back and they basically have a really senior uh, or upper-class-based roster. So, yes, I think we kind of put the card a little bit before the horse, but we did talk about it in the in the podcast that led up to the regular season. We said, what's the mark to get to the NCAA tournament? Even at that point, we said 9-9 nine and nine was the standard. 10-8 and eight might be the number. Let's just get in. So... They, they got there. I, I don't like how they got there. It was a lot of agita. It was a lot of a lot of tums. It was the the heartache of having to get, kind of get you on the bus, off the bus, on the wagon, off the wagon. The glass was empty. I had to fill it up again. But we got there. And at the end of the day, I think the expectation has been met plus some. We get and into I, that. We get into that tournament, Mike, and everything's gravy. And at that point, if I say that, I've got to be happy with the results because we, in a rebuilding season, we don't expect to hit the NCAAs. And bravo, Kevin Willard. Four straight NCAAs. Well, at least it looks like it's on the horizon. Bravo. You hit the nail on the head. It was defined as a rebuilding season. Whenever you have a rebuilding season with our program and the history of our program, to finish in the tournament, to match the best result of four years in a row that any previous coach have, was able to accomplish. That's a success. This has been a success. I, yet, have there been missed opportunities along the way? Absolutely. Could this team have been a, a five or six seed if they put it all together? Absolutely. But in the dance is an overachieving success when you're picked to be in the bottom of the conference in a rebuilding season. Absolutely. I can't wait to preview the Big East tournament, Mike. I'm excited. I'm, I'm going to get back on that horse. I'm, I'm going to do what I did at the beginning of the season. I promised a potential Big East championship. Can, can I predict a possible Big East tournament championship? I mean, the way the Big East season has been going, it's kind of anybody's ball game going into Madison Square Garden. You heard it here first. So if you have enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcasts, which include interviews with former walk-on John Yablonski, former WSOU color commentator Mike McEnany, and 1989 team manager Clark Holly. For Tom Chilkaharski, I am Mike Dizzy Diziri, and you have been listening to Left Coast Pirates.